0: it's monday march 30th 2020 i'm stephen fee and this is the pen pod a limited run podcast from pen america on today's edition is it time for a local news bailout then writer and tv host reza aslan on attacks on free expression during the pandemic and finally emerging voices in literature give their tips on what to read right now i'm stephen fee all that coming up on the pen pod Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PenPod, a limited-run podcast from the literary and free expression group Pen America. We've talked a lot on this podcast about journalism and the life-or-death role it's played during this crisis, especially when it comes to local reporting. At Slate.com, our CEO Suzanne Nossel and my colleague Victoria Vilk write that while Congress and policymakers consider how to spend public dollars, local journalism needs a lifeline. They write that even before the crisis, local news has been hemorrhaging cash and reporters, with 2,100 local newspapers closing over the last 15 years. That's only accelerating as ad revenue bottoms out and the economy sinks as a result of coronavirus. They argue that public dollars, along with other infusions of support, are the only way to keep local journalism afloat. You can read about their recommendations to Congress and other lawmakers at slate.com and on our website, pen.org. Up next, an interview with Reza Aslan. Joining us now on the pen pod, Reza Aslan, a writer, commentator, professor, and producer. He's written four books on religion and is host and producer of Rough Draft with Reza Aslan. Hey, how you doing? Ah, Thanks, thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, thank you. You know, you're a teacher, you host a show, you're a producer, and now here we are in this sort of moment of national, international crisis. Um, What's going on with your work right now? Well, I mean, uh,
1: on one level, you know, a uh, writer has to stay home and write. And so in a weird way, knowing that I'm just gonna be locked in my house for the next you know, few months has been kind of a blessing in disguise. Uh, you know, I don't have to do all the other things that I always have to do and, and deal with, you know, all the other aspects of my work. I can just kind of ignore all the noise and sit down and write, and that's what I've been doing. So. I'm trying to take advantage of it, I suppose, in, in that regard. Right. But, you know, that's a, that's a th- tough thing to say with, with people suffering all around the world right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, there has been so much disinformation. You know, we, we've been tracking it at Pan America. Um, but these just sort of crazy stories flying around and lots of myths and lots of mistruths. I mean, where do you look for truth right now?
1: Well, certainly not with our government, Uh, that's that's for sure. Um, It's really difficult. I mean, there are a handful of um, media outlets and journalists that I rely on to sort of get the most unfiltered truth as I possibly can, but we're still stuck in this weird place as a country um, uh, where we are pretending as though the old um, norms around which we deal with, for instance, political scandals or the way in which we treat the the president still apply. And Mm -hmm. I would go so far as to say that those those norms haven't applied for quite some time, but they certainly in a time uh, in which we are in an existential crisis where we are looking at the possibility of, and this is not an exaggeration, possibly more than a million Americans dying from this um, preventable uh, uh, issue, uh, place that we're in right now, um, I think, you know, at times like that, norms just have to be thrown out and we have to really start to um, talk to our politicians and particularly to the president uh, in a way that perhaps a lot of these uh, journalists or media personalities are not used to, but which the, the times are really calling for. We are in a moment right now in which the press is living in a different century. They are treating this president as though he is any other president. They are under the mistaken view that regardless of who is in office, the office itself demands respect. that is nonsense. When the person who is in office is literally putting our lives at risk with his lunacy and his deliberate misinformation, then the role of the media is not to play some kind of neutral arbiter calling balls and strikes. <laughs> the role of the media is to be the mouthpiece of truth. And unfortunately, the way that it it just simply works, it's just not it doesn't function that way. It's failing us, I think, pretty dramatically. And so who else do we can we rely on except artists? I mean, that's the only other mm. I think a source of truth that we can rely on any longer.
0: I wanna talk about norms just just quickly, if you don't mind. Um... You know, I mean, we're in this moment right now where it seems like a lot of norms could go out the window. I mean, if they hadn't already this, before this crisis, it seems like now we're in a really sort of uncertain period. Are you concerned at all about, you know, the, the kinds of things that might be done under the banner of uh, coronavirus, under the banner of a public health emergency that could threaten specifically free expression, free speech, or the freedom to write?
1: No question about it. I mean, I think that there are forces right now that are looking for ways of taking advantage of this crisis to push through policies that they have been pursuing for a generation, if not more. I think sometimes we think that that only has to do with certain economic policies. Okay, let's let's do another trillion dollars in tax cuts. Why not? Let's, let's uh, uh, throw money at um, certain industries. Um, but I think more importantly, what you are going to see is an attack on certain norms, like the freedom of expression, uh, in the name of some measure of national security. Already, you are seeing that happening, you know, just here and there in the the local level. But I think that when you have an administration as corrupt and and as morally bankrupt as this one, uh, you just simply cannot put anything past that.
0: You know, I want to switch gears just briefly. I know you're you're working on a book. Um, you're a writer, obviously, and we spoke a little bit about this earlier. But I'm wondering, do you have tips for writers out there who are really trying right now to to put pen to paper?
1: Look, in, in a way, the, the, the most difficult part of writing is tuning out the noise that's going on outside, you know, knowing that you have to deal with um, – School schedules or meetings or delays or other people asking for your time. I mean, to me, the hardest part of writing is just simply having the time to sit down and write. And so I do think that this is an opportunity for a lot of us writers to to take advantage of that, you know, to take advantage of the fact that the rest of the of the country is shutting down. And so... Uh, I think any excuse that, that we used to have for not writing, and we writers have lots of excuses for not writing, um, <laughs> are no longer there. So let's let's actually figure out it. The, the other thing, too, that I will say is I, I don't know if other writers have this experience, but I certainly do, especially when I'm working on long-form projects like a book, you know, a book that isn't going to see the light of day for a couple of years. I think that the experience of writing a project like this uh, is good exercise, because it does force a person to have a broader perspective, to start thinking, not in terms of days, not in terms of months, but in terms of years. Yes, we are in a unprecedented situation in this country, a situation that is about to get far worse, I mean, unimaginably worse than it is now. Um and I think, in a sense, you know, it, we can look at this from a very narrow lens and uh, start panicking and thinking that you know we're we're looking at the end of the world, um, the end of you know society as we know it. But I think that when you begin to pull back a little bit and have a much broader perspective of history, you recognize that we have been in situations like this before. That we can survive. That society will change, but it will continue. And I think the experience of writing a book uh, is, is kind of a good practice for that. I think it expands the mind in, in, in the, the, the proper ways to, to have a far broader, far more historical perspective on what's going on right this minute.
0: Yeah. And finally, uh, what's, uh, what are you reading or watching or listening to right now that's either providing a night <laughs> distraction or more context around all the stuff that's happening? It's funny cuz I, I
1: keep I keep seeing online you know all these people who are like
0: oh my goodness I this is I'm going to just
1: uh, watch so much Netflix and I'm going to absolutely binge you know all the shows that I wanted to watch these are people without children because <laughs> for those of us for those of us with children I mean just keeping them occupied for right. 12 13 14 hours is you know enough it's hard to it's hard to convince my kids to go to bed you know, at a decent hour when they know that they don't have school tomorrow. <laughs> and so I haven't watched a thing. I've just been, you know, with my kids as much as possible. And then, of course, as most writers will tell you, particularly those of us who write nonfiction, once you start writing a book, you don't read anything for enjoyment anymore. All my reading right. has to do with, you know, I'm reading about twenty early twentieth century uh, revolution in Russia right now, which. Uh, you know, is interesting? <laughs> is it? Is it entertaining? No, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that the the Russian Revolution of 1905 is all that much uh, entertainment. But I do have a gigantic stack of books that I'm thinking. You know, this thing is going to last certainly through the summer. Uh, maybe it's time to finally get to Ulysses.
0: Yeah, right. If you can handle no punctuation.
1: <laughs> what? Yeah. When else am I going to do it?
0: I mean, I'm not going to do it any
1: other time. It it literally requires a global pandemic for me to sit down and get through Ulysses.
0: Well, good luck to you. Reza Aslan, New York Times (laughs) bestseller and host of uh, Rough Draft with Reza Aslan. Thanks a bunch. Take care. Bye bye. For years, PEN America's Emerging Voices Fellowship has mentored over 150 writers who are sometimes isolated from the literary establishment. They receive a professional mentorship, classes at the UCLA Extension Writers Program, and skills workshops and events throughout the year. This week, a group of Emerging Voices alumni recommend books by fellows, mentors, and others from across genres and disciplines. Check out that reading list and more on our website, pen.org. And that's our episode for Monday, March 30th, 2020. Join us tomorrow for the Pen Pod with writer and journalist Fatima Sheikh. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Sign up on our website for our daily DARE newsletter, where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee. For Pen America, this is the Pen Pod. See you tomorrow.